This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. For years, Indigenous leaders and their allies have been protesting the completion of the Line 3 pipeline upgrade, a project that's expected to carry tar sands through lands that Indigenous people rely on. Even under Joe Biden's administration, which has claimed to back climate justice initiatives, the Line 3 project is moving ahead. Earlier this summer, activists faced harsh police repression, tear gas, non-lethal rubber bullets and arrests. Last week, hundreds gathered at the Minnesota Capitol calling on Governor Tim Waltz to stop Line 3. Indigenous leaders this week met with the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders Mary Lawler about ongoing rights violations related to the actions against Line 3. The project is nearly complete, but its opponents are not giving up. Meanwhile, on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina hitting the Gulf Coast, a Category 5 storm named Ida hit the same states of Louisiana and Mississippi, leaving more than a million people without power. Climate change fueled by the burning of fossil fuels will continue to generate such storms each year. We turn now to Tara Hauska. She is an acclaimed attorney and activist founder of the GNU Collective and co-founder of Not Your Mascots. She's been one of the central figures in the Stop Line 3 activism. Welcome to the program, Tara. Thank you so much. So first, tell me where the project itself is. There are reports that Enbridge is basically done with this pipeline upgrade in spite of the mass opposition to it. Where is it right now? Is it essentially going to start operating soon? I mean, that's their plan. Enbridge has been working 24 hours a day uh, and increasing their workload, increasing their work hours with a response to the massive amount of resistance to this project and probably growing concerns around our engagement with the Biden administration and other decision makers uh, on the project itself. Enbridge knows it has a huge problem on its hands and so it's trying to get the project done as quickly as possible, which, you know, if the whole premise is that it's about safety, I, uh, I would question the integrity of of the the work they're undertaking currently. So there was a, a very powerful gathering this summer um, at the area where the Line 3 pipeline is cutting through. Um, there was a the treaty gathering. Um, we had covered it on our show. Tell me about the activism and also the harsh police repression that many people faced. I understand that police cracked down very harshly and that there is now a mass effort to get legal representation for the people who are facing charges. Yeah, the resistance has been incredibly powerful. And it's important to note that all of this has occurred during the course of a global pandemic. So we have had to be very cautious and engage in a lot of health precautions around making sure people are safe and well, uh, you know, making sure that folks are getting tested and all those things before coming into the space and before engaging in uh, actions along the line. I'll put it in context like this. Uh, folks may be more familiar with the fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline out at Standing Rock. There were 800 people arrested in that struggle. There have been over 800 people arrested in this struggle. So the resistance has been incredibly fierce. Um, it's been very powerful and it's been 
I think very intentioned uh, towards centering the voices of young people, centering the voices of indigenous people, of the wild rice that we're trying to protect, the future generations that we're standing up for. And the repression has been significant. Um, Enbridge is actually funding something called the Public Safety Escrow Trust that's overseen by the state of Minnesota that law enforcement, local law enforcement has billed to, to the tune of over $2 million at this point. So they've been paid $2 million worth of Enbridge money uh, to suppress and repress, surveil, and at this point, uh, engage in brutality against indigenous folks and uh, allies who are standing against the Line 3 project. I mean, it sounds like they're hiring mercenaries. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I was hit with rubber bullets, as were many others, uh, and Mace at very close point blank range saw, you know, young people with their heads split open with blood running down their faces uh, as police stood in a giant line in front of a Enbridge drill that was going under a river uh, almost empty from the drought conditions that we're currently in in northern Minnesota. And in more recent weeks, there's been use of pain compliance, uh, which is essentially torture on unarmed people. So police officers dislocating people's jaws and hurting people uh, instead of using extraction teams that are you know, qualified, I guess, or capable of cutting people out of their uh, attachment to machines. And um, yeah, the, the amount of surveillance and harassment has been incredible throughout this struggle. Um, I'm actually calling you from the Maywood camp, which is where Gnu Collective is housed and we've been housed for the last three years. There was a blockade of police officers in our driveway. They tried to say that we couldn't use our driveway anymore and arrested 12 people, throwing them into the dirt, uh, mostly indigenous women and uh, femmes. So we had to get a restraining order against them just to get access back to our driveway. That's the level of repression we're talking about. Right before I talked to you, there's been helicopters over our camp all morning. Wow. What about the protest last week at the Minnesota Capitol? Um, you have called upon, you and others have called upon Governor Tim Waltz to step in, um, and presumably he has some say over the repression that uh, people like yourself are facing. Has he made any response? Um, I, it seemed like it was a very well-attended protest with a lot of allies showing up as well. Governor Tim Waltz hasn't said a word about the rubber bullets that were paid for by Enbridge. There has been no response from Lieutenant Governor Flanagan about the use of pain compliance on water protectors, on unarmed people who are standing up for future generations and the tens of millions of people who are downstream of this project. There has been no answer from these folks and there's been no answer from the Biden administration either. They've sent out Army Corps representatives to engage in consultation at this late stage because of the level of resistance, but we have not heard the answers which are mandated by law, which is, you know, su- treaties are the supreme law of the land. Why aren't they being followed? The, there are three Ojibwe nations who are suing against the approval of this project. There's obviously not consent here. And there are obviously serious concerns around tribal cultural resources like wild rice and the climate impacts of this project, which were not considered at the state level EIS. We're asking for the same things that were asked for by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. We want a full federal environmental impact statement, which means suspending Trump's 404 water crossing permits. 
I think it's a good example and a, and a good visual representation for people to look at what happened at the governor's mansion to see dozens and dozens of police officers holding batons surrounding a teepee on the lawn of the governor's uh, capital. That's, there you go. There's it in a nutshell. One of um, the indigenous leaders who had actually been on our program, Nancy Bolio with um, 350.org, has been also confronting uh, Tim Waltz. And he, uh, in an in a news report where she was quoted, uh, Waltz was also quoted defending his position on line three, saying, I've made the case and shown policies that we need to move away from fossil fuels. But in the meantime, if we're going to transport oil, we need to do it as safely as possible uh, as we possibly can with the most modern equipment. And my job was to make sure that that's what was happening on this. I mean, this sounds, I imagine, disappointing to yourself to hear yet uh, over and over again um, people who and leaders who say that they understand climate change is real, want to do something about it, and yet when given the chance to do something about it, there's always a, but we have to, or in the meantime, or transition fuels or clean transitions, et cetera, et cetera. There's always excuses, it seems. Yeah, and I mean, the critical, I think the critical word in all of his statement which is a very political type you know we're going to continue on with the status quo is the is the word need do we need to do this do we need to allow a fossil fuel company to contaminate a new region because that's what's really at issue here it's not about replacing the old line through with a safer form of transport it's about building a brand new pipeline and a brand new ecosystem through brand new watersheds that have no pipeline infrastructure in them that have no oil in them that have no tar sands leaks like the leaks that are all along the northern part of the state where the old line three is. The issue of need was challenged by Minnesota itself. The Department of Minnesota's Department of Commerce said that need was not found here, that there was no justification for this oil pipeline because there was no demand for it. And that was like an issue that was fought all the way through and subsequently denied by the courts. So the, you had Minnesota actually suing itself saying, you didn't prove need. Where's the oil forecast for this oil? It's, it's not here. This oil is meant for foreign transport. It's not meant for Minnesota's uh, energy security. It's not meant for the United States energy security. It's meant for foreign export somewhere else so Enbridge can continue to exp extract and expand the tar sands. Line three itself is a 10% expansion of the tar sands industry, just that one single pipeline. Wow. So that's what's really at issue here. Tell me about the meeting that you and others had with a UN Special Rapporteur to try to get some international attention on this issue. I think the fact that the UN Special Rapporteur even took this meeting speaks volumes about a recognition of land defenders and the fact that land defenders also exist in North America. There are other places around the globe that land defenders are regularly assassinated openly for doing this work, for protecting our own land. Um, but it doesn't end in those places. It also happens here. We are not openly assassinated, but yet we do experience an incredible amount of repression through the judicial system, through local law enforcement, through private security, through harassment, surveillance, and the uh, actions of private industry collaborating openly with uh, state and federal governments. Um, you know, what the Treaty People's Gathering that you mentioned, there is a Department of Homeland Security helicopter used 20 feet above our heads to try to kick rocks in our faces. Wow. And they try to say that that didn't happen but fortunately, there happened to be a mainstream news uh, broadcaster on site who, who filmed it and said, yes, it did. You can't tell me it didn't happen. I experienced it. Um, 
So those tactics and that level of human rights abuse is, is occurring here also. Uh, the meeting was productive. I know there was an invitation to continue on a discussion. There's a lot going on in the world, obviously, with Afghanistan and other places that are experiencing um, human rights abuse and climate disaster. Uh, but there was still room made for line three because it is an issue that I think is percolating into other spheres that might be willing to listen since our own government is not. So you have the short-term damage from this pipeline to the wild rice, to indigenous lands. And then, of course, there's a long-term damage. And it isn't even that long-term anymore because climate change is here. And we're seeing the effects of Hurricane Ida on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. There are over a million people without power right now in Louisiana and Mississippi. In fact, we had arranged for a guest to join us from Mississippi to talk about what was happening there and compared to what took place 16 years ago in New Orleans, but they don't have power. And so we were forced to sort of cancel our interview. But this is part of the story, right, Tara? I mean, and, and Biden gets it. The governors of our Democratic governors, at least, get it, but they still don't take enough action. Yeah, they say they get it. It's, it's a lot of talk and very little walk. And that climate crisis that's occurring is, it's here also, it's everywhere, it's all over the globe. When we're talking about the level of resistance that's occurred here in this territory, in this space, all of that happened under smoky skies from wildfires that were all around us. So smoky skies and a red sun. It happened with drought-stricken rivers. So you've got a tar sands company that's using this massive drill out of like a sci-fi movie drilling under an empty river and then simultaneously sucking out the puddles that are left because they, they took out 5 billion gallons of water to build line three. And they were approved by the Minnesota DNR to do that, to take out 5 billion gallons from a watershed when people can't even you know water their lawns and we're all in water, water shortages. Climate crisis is here. It is happening all over. And to hear the lawmakers say, oh, yeah, we acknowledge climate crisis. Here's the IPCC report. We need to take real action on this and then propose net zero in 20 years. Maybe we'll do some some legislative pushes towards electric vehicles. You know, we'll start transitioning away. But you're still approving infrastructure expansion projects all over the place. You're still extracting uh, minerals and oil all over the place and building and allowing the industry to continue to build and continue to expand because their only model is expansion. Um, the corruption and level of influence that big oil continues to wield in these spaces is so negligent on behalf of, of the uh, elected officials who are supposed to represent the, represent the public's interests, not that of private companies. Right. The infrastructure bill that the Biden administration is wrangling along with Democrats is supposed to have some climate initiatives, climate friendly initiatives built into it. But uh, could Biden also just outside of this fraught legislative process stop line three? I mean, we did see President Obama stop Keystone XL pipeline, uh, stop the Dakota Access pipeline. Then, of course, Trump undid that. Uh, when he came in, but couldn't Biden just with a stroke of the pen um, <laughs> further his own climate agenda by stopping line three? President Biden could suspend line three right now. He could suspend line three tomorrow. He has been able to do that for 
every single day of struggle that we've been engaged in trying to protect our territory. Um, all it would take is a stroke of the pen to order an environmental impact statement, just like they asked for over in Standing Rock Sioux Nation. Um, he could do those things. He could also engage in executive orders and, you know, a, a concerted effort to end fossil fuel subsidies that are rampant in the federal government and the use of federal dollars. Where is the action? Where is the actual walk for all the talk of what's happening around us? There is still a ongoing genocidal you know, uh, reality on the ground for indigenous people and for people who are considered sacrifice zones. We are the people who are bearing the brunt of climate crisis. We are the people who are experiencing the continued destruction of the last remaining places of biodiversity on the earth and hearing very, very little to no action on behalf of the decision makers. It's amazing to see the headlines around Hurricane Ida right now, uh, news headlines saying that the levees passed the test, the, the post-Hurricane Katrina levees that were built passed the Hurricane Ida test. And there seems to be this continuous desire to use technological fixes to get out of the worst impacts of climate change as if we're going to tech, tech fix our way out of the crisis. I mean, how... How is that even possible? You know, in the case of the line three, the, the damage to indigenous lands from line three, there's no tech fix to that, right? Once a sacred place is destroyed, it no longer exists. I mean, it exists in our hearts, it exists in our minds, it exists in the memory of our people. Um, but when we're talking about wild rice, which is so sacred to us, it's the only grain that exists in a treaty with the United States. It is that important and central to our culture. That is destruction of culture, of identity, of a people. Um, these are things that cannot be replaced. These are places that cannot be brought back. Um, and to believe that we're going to solar panel our way out of climate crisis is such human fallacy. You know, there has to be radical shift in the way we view our place in the world. There has to be a recentering of nature in who we are as people, the centering of basic truths that we cannot live without water, clean water, clean air, and clean soil. We can't. And those truths are almost never present in any of these discussions about solving the climate crisis. Finally, Tara, what's next for Line 3? Are there other gatherings that are being organized, other actions that you're calling on allies to take? Yeah, we've continued to welcome people into this space here with the New Collective. I believe the other camps are continuing to welcome folks into their spaces as well. Um, so please get involved in the struggle if you haven't already. Visit stopline3.org. Um, please donate to the bail fund. That would be very helpful. Uh, at stopline3bailfunds.org and use your platform to pressure the Biden administration, to pressure Gina McCarthy, to reach out to these people, to tell them, hey, this needs to, uh, we need to send a message to the fossil fuel industry that even if they're almost already done with their pipeline project, it never had approval in the first place. It never should have been approved in the first place. Um, and also inside of yourself, find your bravery, find your heart, and find your way to the front line. 
Those websites again, stopline3.org and stopline3bailfunds.org. We'll link to both of those from our website. Tara, thank you so much for all you do and for joining us today. Miigwech. Thank you. My guest has been Tara Hauska. She is an attorney, an activist, founder of the Ginyu Collective, co-founder of Not Your Mascots, one of the leading figures in opposition to the Line 3 pipeline that cuts through Indigenous lands in Minnesota. We've been discussing that pipeline. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and watch all of our video interviews. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RU with Sonali.